I want people to know how great I think death with dignity is and how great it is that this great state of Washington allows us to choose our own destiny. There's such a stigma with death with dignity. If anything, it should be allowed in every state and there should be no stigma with it because it's one of the most courageous things that you can do. I'm Deborah Jarvis, and you're listening to The Final Say, Conversations with People Facing Death. This is the podcast where you can get comfortable talking about death and learn some things about life from people who are dying. In this episode, I'm talking with Diane, who chose to use the Death with Dignity Law here in Washington State. I know Diane because I've been friends with her wife, Elaine, for several years. Now, I know you may have some strong religious, ethical, or moral beliefs around aid and dying, and that's okay. I just ask that you would listen to this episode with an open mind and an open heart. Now, besides death with dignity, we'll also talk about what makes life worth living and what makes death seem like a better option. We'll also discuss her near-death experience, love at first sight, and the perfect hamburger. When I walked in, Diane was lying in bed, wearing a big grin and a t-shirt that read, Not Dead Yet. She was diagnosed with multiple system atrophy, which is a neurological disease similar to multiple sclerosis and ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Diane's married to Elaine, and they have two daughters. She lived with MSA four years before she was ready to use the Washington state law, which allows medical aid in dying. I asked her to explain exactly what MSA does to your body. It shuts down all the functions of your body that your brain will normally tell you to blink. My brain doesn't tell me to blink. When you take a breath, your brain is telling you, you need to take air. Mine doesn't do that. How do you know when to blink? You make yourself blink. That's why a lot of patients with multiple system atrophy, a lot of people have dry eyes because of the blinking function. The other thing it does is it, your lungs start to atrophy. Your muscles start to atrophy. You won't be able to swallow. Then you won't be able to talk. And that's, that's when it gets hard. Most people go on feeding tubes once they get to that point where they can't swallow. The other thing is just down to your ability to walk. So you're bed-bound, right? I am bed-bound. I've been bed-bound since shortly after Christmas of last year. Diane saw six doctors before she got a final diagnosis. Buddy told us that, I, that, we, that we had MSA. And I was so happy because I'd finally gotten diagnosed. I looked over Elaine and her face was white. I said, honey, isn't that great? We have a diagnosis. And she said, yes. The next morning she left to go to work. And I got on the internet and looked up MSA. I thought, oh, holy crap. That's not good. So when Elaine walked in and says, honey, I have MSA. That's not good. And that's when we both started crying. 
And then that was the last time I cried about my disease. I had an episode where I actually passed on. They don't know what caused it. They don't know if it was the disease or too much medication at one time. But I did cross over. I saw the light. Tell me about that. That was pretty cool. It was black and white. It wasn't colorful the way most people describe it. And I remember a door at the end with some type of a figure. Arms were flowing and it was like telling me, come this way. And I kept saying, no, it's not time yet. It's not my time yet. And I said, pull me through, pull me through. And I extended my arm and my spiritual advisor pulled my arm and pulled me back. Because I knew it wasn't my time because I knew I had things I needed to say to get done. Tell me about your decision to use the assisted death law. Well, after reading up on MSA and hearing all the horrible stories of how life ends and how it never gets better, it gets worse, and my pain levels at an eight at the time. And living at an eight is not living. You're in pain all the time, and even a little movement hurts. And so after reading up on the horrible ways to die with MSA, I started looking more into death with dignity because my mother tried to do death with dignity down in Oregon and failed. How did she fail? She didn't get everything ready in time. By the time she was ready to go for it, she could hardly pick up anything, and she could hardly talk. So that window passed her by. She did not qualify. So I wanted to get all my ducks in a row as soon as I could. So in 2015, when I'd been diagnosed, I called death with dignity. And it was way too soon. I know Elaine was having a really hard time with it. But I kept telling her all I wanted was the information so I could get all the paperwork in time so I could have my doctors ready so that all of that would be good to go. I knew it wasn't ready, so I just kind of put it on the back burner and knew that I, I had to get a consulting and I had to get a prescribing. So the doctors I started going to, I would ask them about death with dignity. And a lot of them said, being doctors, that they're here to keep people alive, not to help kill them. You know, four years, we didn't talk about it again, but I kept asking my doctor, and none of them would do it. I needed to make sure that Elaine was going to be okay. That was my number one priority, that somebody was going to have her and keep her heart safe. And my sister-in-law was here. She said, we got her. You don't have to worry. We've got her. You're okay to go whenever you want to go. That made me feel, made me feel able to say goodbye to this world and plan on going to the next. You feel good about Elaine now that she's taken care of. I feel great. I know that she's told me herself that I can pass on now that she's feeling good. Her sister's got her heart taken care of. Now that I know that she's okay, I'm just finishing up little projects. Tell me about how you guys met and how long ago that was. It was in October of 2005, there was a, a women's dinner group that got together. And we walk into where the group was, and I saw this woman that took my breath away. As soon as I saw her, I knew that we were going to get married. 
that we were going to have a love of a lifetime. And the sparks went off. And there was Charity right next to her. So I was scooting my butt over there as fast as I could. But the friends that I were with did not want to sit down with the group. They wanted to sit so far away from them that all I could do all night long was look at Elaine's back and saying I should be there. After the dinner got over with, we were walking out of Ivers and I made a comment that how can this be a social group with not one person talk to us? And this woman overheard me and came down and introduced herself and said that's not the way of this group is. And then the door opens and out walks Elaine. And my heart goes, thump, 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 thump. And it happened to be that she and this woman were great friends. And so God intervened. Did Elaine feel the same way when she saw you? Yes. It was instant for both of us. The last 15 years of my life have been the best. But I keep saying we need to get more people in her to have to help me so she can go back just being my wife, not, not my caregiver. It seems like the hardest thing about all this for you has been watching Elaine and the effect your disease has had on her. So besides Elaine, what's been the other most difficult thing for you having MSA? Is losing all control. I can't drive anymore. I can't walk anymore. I can't go to a movie. So one by one, you lose your ability to do something or not being able to go outside, not be able to see the stars anymore, not be able to go on road trips with the kids, you know, not being able to take Elaine out on a date. And for me, when I lose my voice, or if I lose my voice before I have the chance to do death with dignity, that's gonna kill me. Because not be able to laugh or to say joke will be my hell. I think everybody has a certain hell that they don't wanna go to, and that would be mine. Tell me about your spiritual beliefs. Tell me about what you were raised to believe and where you are now. I was raised as a Methodist. I just remember sermons about saying gays were bad and that always left a bad taste in my mouth. That really turned me off and I didn't believe in church or God. I believed in my own God. I didn't believe in the church God. What was your own God like? Kind, loving, caring, open affirming somebody that you could talk to you know i did talk to god a lot but after i met elaine and she kept telling me how wonderful the church she went to was I thought, yeah right so i went there and i was received with open arms and they made me believe that god is great that god is wonderful that god is in all of us and this church family has come through with for me numerous times. But most people see MSA as a curse. I see it as a blessing because it has brought so many different people into our lives. 
than ever would have been in our lives. Tell me about some of the greatest moments of joy you've had since being sick. The communication between Elaine and myself has opened up immensely. We're not afraid to talk anymore. We can talk about the harder parts, death being one of them. I think you begin to take every moment you have as special. You guys have a pretty amazing relationship. The last 15 years of my life have been the best. I was born the day I met her. She saved my life over and over again and is still doing it. She brought me back to church. She showed me what the love of a family is like. She just showed me love. I never knew I could be loved. I always thought I was an unloved person until I met her. Is there anything that you wish that you had known sooner in life that you know now? That to love each other and be part of a community and don't take life for granted. You know, live each day, love each day, laugh each day. I mean, I think that's one of the most important things that have kept us going. It's we laugh every day. So I don't think enough people laugh. What we decided yesterday is that we picked a date that I'm going to pass on. And that was like a monkey was lifted off my shoulder. Because now I can say my goodbyes in my own way to all my friends and family. asked Diane to explain the whole death with dignity process, which she did, but then I realized that the protocol is different in every state. So let me just say that for sure, you need two doctors who are going to agree to do this. And for sure, if you know you want medical aid in dying, you need to start this process as soon as you get a prognosis of six months or less. The rules and the regulations and waiting periods may seem ridiculous, but they're there for a really good reason. You know, we don't want to make it easy to knock off grandma for the inheritance. And this should be a really well thought out decision, not something made in haste. So there's built in safeguards so that you're thoughtful about it. So if you are thinking about this for yourself, please look into the regulations in your state if you live in a state in which medical aid in dying is legal. You're going to have a last meal? So I get a cheeseburger with bacon, no lettuce, waffle fries, and a chocolate caramel milkshake. That would be my last meal. Wow. Then you could say, it was so good, I about died. Oh, oh, I did. I did. <laughs> I wonder if you could talk about, just for people that don't know about Death with Dignity, how the procedure for actually taking the medication. Yeah, what the procedure is, is there's no food five hours before you're going to do this, two hours before you take the medication. You take three anti-nauseous pills. 
and then that medication is already all all done for you all. It's powdered form. So all we'll do is pour it into the glass. And then what the doctor says is, is to use alcohol to wash it down with. I'm gonna have a Tom Collins because I you know, I don't drink. But when I used to drink I used you know my drink of choice was Tom Collins with vodka. And so poured in with the medication, which is like eight hundred pills, crushed down into then you have to drink it all down. You have to drink it all down for three minutes because by that time it'll all solidify. And then once you get that down, then you can take a couple of sips of your Tom Collins. And then five, ten minutes later, you gently go to sleep. And you don't wake up. But you might not pass on for four hours or 20 hours. But they think with with me, I'll be doing it in less than four. Do you think it'll be like it was the, the last experience you had? I think it'll be far better. Because I think by being black and white, it's like either you're ready to go or you're not. I think I chose the black part and saying, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm putting my feet down and I'm staying. Right. So, but this time I'm going with open arms open heart and saying I am here take me I know you're going to be surrounded by so much love in this room yeah I think that's what's going to be the best part is that having all that love and knowing that you are leaving being loved being blessed with the friends that, you, that I've had and knowing how much love that they have for me, it's like it's all going to be, they're all going to pick me up. I'm excited because it's like it's going to be an experience like none other. Now, I don't usually know the story of exactly how the death of any of my guests went, but this time I do. And I was touched to be included in some of these events. Diane chose a day for what she called her blessing event or the liftoff celebration. And this was a time for close friends and family to gather around her and say goodbye. So the first thing, when we walked in the house, we were invited to choose an intention tattoo. And I chose one that read, she believed she could, so she did. And then we gathered around Diane's bed, which made it pretty crowded, but that was okay. One person sang a chant, another person sang a song she wrote, and then someone pulled out a sparkling ball of yarn. It looked as if it was spun from crystals and diamond. It was gorgeous. It was just so light and soft. And starting with Diane, they wrapped it around her wrist three times, and then the ball of yarn went to someone across from her who wrapped their wrist. And then we just kept throwing the ball of yarn to one another and wrapping our wrists until we were all connected. And then after the very last person, 
wrapped their wrist on Diane's command. We all raised our arms and suddenly we were in the midst of an iridescent and sparkling web. It was beautiful. And there was this collective gasp. And we all stood in silence, just taking in the beauty of it. And I think we really are connected in this way. But, you know, most of the time, well, for sure, we don't see it literally like that, but we don't even think about it. And we all just stood there for a couple minutes. And then scissors came out and we cut the web, but then we're instructed to turn to the person next to us and tie this magical yarn a couple of times around their wrist. And it was a reminder that we are all connected and connected to Diane. So the gathering was beautiful and sweet and sad. And I'll tell you, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact we were saying goodbye. I mean, like, final goodbye. Here's what you meant to me. I will never see you again. And then before we all left, Diane gave each of us a beautiful votive candle. A few days later, on the actual liftoff day, at 5.20 in the afternoon, just before Diane drank her end-of-life Tom Collins, Elaine texted all of us and asked us to light our candles. And almost exactly one hour later, we got the text that read, She's soaring. You can blow out your candles, say a prayer, and cut off your bracelets. So here's my final say for today. I really do support death with dignity, but I'll be honest with you, it boggles my mind, especially when it's a person, you know, we know and love because we don't want them to suffer, but we don't want them to go. So perhaps we accept this with just a tablespoon of ambivalence because the whole adventure can be such a mixture of love and grief and gratitude and relief. I'm Deborah Jarvis, and thanks for listening to The Final Say. It's okay to do death with dignity, that there's no shame in it, and there should never be any shame in it. So I wanted to take that stigma away from it, saying that it just needs more support. Everyone deserves a peaceful death. Exactly. Exactly.